Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready for a different kind of Vegas experience with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Well, he's here. He's here every week, but he's here for even longer. He's going to be here for the entire show. We're really excited about this. This is Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com. You hear him every week. He is your Vegas insider. And, Scott, great to have you. You know, the last time we sat down for one of these extended interviews and so forth, we talked a little about the difficulties that Vegas was having through the pandemic and the hopes that they come out of it. As you look at it, have they done some of the things you've suggested, which is to not nickel and dime people and kind of bring that fun back? I know they've kind of done that in downtown, thanks to the building of Circa and so forth, and Resorts World, I guess, down in, on the Strip. But what's your overall take on uh, today in Vegas? Thanks for having me on, uh, first of all. And also, of course, they haven't stopped nickel and diming. Uh, it's kind of the, that is the way business operates in Vegas for the moment. And that is largely due to the fact that there's just been this unprecedented demand for 17 months in a row, billion dollar months, uh, of gaming revenue for much longer than I thought it would go. I thought, you know, there'll be a little, uh, some pent up demand after, after the pandemic and people will come for a few months and, and they're looking to spend some of that money that they couldn't spend on other things, but it's gone 17 months now. There are signs that it could be slowing a bit. Uh, that, of course, is, could be related to things like the overall economy, but I think people are just finally starting to kind of come to their senses again and realizing that they will have a future, so you might want to save. you got kids going to college, so... You know, when people, uh, it, it really has been a complicated time for not just Vegas, but our culture. And I just find it really fascinating um, uh, to, to think about kind of what, what makes people gamble more than they typically would. Part of that is financial, but a big part of that is really their mentality at, at any given time. So to your question, the hotels have not, they don't have to do anything to get people here now. Uh, they really have to get the conventions back, which has not come back. But for the most part, they're getting a lot of uh, gambling revenue. And uh, they're increasing their margins by cutting back on some things that you will notice if you visit Las Vegas. Some service issues have cropped up. But for the most part, the casinos don't have to really do any great promotions. They don't have to do any great um, you know, that traditional casino marketing stuff, they don't really have to do. So they're kind of resting on their laurels, but I think they're going to get a rude awakening uh, any minute now, really. Well, you know, one thing that's interesting, though, is you always talked about that Vegas was something special, and they have to talk about the fun. And I think that initial blast you're talking about is instead of going to the local uh, casino down the street, I think Vegas is still Vegas. So as soon as people got back and we have to have a place to go and have fun, I Yes, fortunately, people think Las Vegas. Yeah, I think I think that has largely been kind of the common thinking um, that it is, 
you know, Las Vegas, the last time they came up with a good slogan was probably 20 years ago. And that, and that was it, the whole, you know, what happens here stays here. And they really haven't done much to improve on that. They tweaked it a little bit uh, for the convention folks to make it a little less sassy. So it was a more business-oriented tweak. But for the most part, this town has cruised kind of on autopilot for many, many years when it had a monopoly on gambling. So now they're they're getting the additional benefit of coming out of the pandemic. But at some point, there's going to be a reality check that folks can gamble down the block. Um, and that, you know, Vegas keeps saying how unique Vegas is, but I'd be hard-pressed to really find anything that Vegas can offer that other places can't. Um, you know, it used to be kind of the entertainers were unique, but th- those, those folks tour around everywhere. Uh, gambling used to be unique, but now you can gamble anywhere. So... Uh, I think, you know, I do love Las Vegas, so of course it's different to me, but I think when people are trying to decide, you know, do I, do I need to go to Vegas to place a sports bet, or can I just do it on an app in my, in my hometown? Uh, do, is the Vegas experience in a casino that much different than, than the casino uh, on this riverboat or, or wherever their, their local casino is? And uh, I think Vegas really has to concentrate on how to differentiate itself otherwise. So folks... They may not come back. Well, I think you're right, and I think what they can do is look to downtown and specifically to the Circa and so forth and to see really a place that really is for the gambler. I mean, people that want to come and gamble, Circa seem like uh, almost a gift from heaven because it just had <laughs> it's got everything there. And I'm going to also ask you about the fried rice. You mentioned Vital Vegas for that. But but uh, what is it about? I mean, I know it's adults, it's adults only, but Derek Stevens, the guy that owns the thing, and we've given him a lot of credit because he deserves it. I mean, he really seems to have the visitor's uh, best interest in my heart. Yeah, I I think you've touched on something really important that maybe has been lost with these bigger companies. Uh, for folks that may not know, uh, the Strip is mostly owned, it's about half MGM and half Caesar. So these big companies with stockholders, um, I mentioned the profit margins, that they're really focused on that bottom line. And they, they do that through cuts and they do that through bookkeeping and spreadsheets. That's the mentality uh, even more so now because they they had they did struggle during COVID. But I think with Derek, uh, I'm not objective about Derek Stevens because that is my favorite casino. That is my spot, and I uh, and that is despite the fact that I don't like sports. And this place was built pretty much with a pool and sports and and as you said, gambling. But for the most part, it's things I'm not particularly interested in. But it's still my favorite place. And there's something about the energy there. Uh, and, but one thing that Derek doesn't have to do is ask a board. He doesn't have to, to run anything by shareholders. It's pretty much his brother, uh, Greg Stevens, who I think is about 25% owner of, of these places. It's Circa, Golden Gate, and the D. And they have a very different vibe. They have a very different sensibility. Um, I, w- I wouldn't say with Circa that it's kind of a, any kind of a throwback vintage vibe, uh, but they all kind of pay homage to the history of Vegas. But it's all the all the modern features you would want: a thousand TV screens in the sports book, a massive screen by the pool. Yeah, I love this place so much. People accuse me of working for them, <laughs> but I don't. I I talk it up because I love it, and that includes Eight East, which is this restaurant uh, that you mentioned, where. 
they have this wonderful fried rice. I was a big fan of this fried rice. So I started combining, uh, I, I started having, uh, ordering chicken skewers with the fried rice because that's the perfect meal. Then they started adding it together uh, at my request. So now they call it Vital Vegas style. Another reason people think I work there, but I don't. <laughs> uh, but it's delicious. But it, to me, that I don't know. There's just it, There are some places that are just destinations, whether it's a destination casino, destination restaurant, destination bar. Could be. A, I literally have places in town where it's just destination bread. Uh, yeah. But that you find those things that you love, and Derek Stevens just, I mean, I cannot think of another owner who sits at the end of his own bar and talks to customers and and gamblers and visitors all night long. So if the only better focus group in the world is my Twitter account, but Derek gets feedback every day, wouldn't be great to have a this. He doesn't have to run it by anybody. He goes, yep, we're going to have a that, and then it and then it magically appears. So I just love his, you know, because he likes to have fun. Uh, there are CEOs in this town I truly believe would not know one end of a of a crap stick from the other. They wouldn't know, they couldn't deal blackjack. or You know, they might know the, the basics of it, but Derek comes from a place of, he built Circa for himself. And it just so happens there's a lot of people who love what Derek loves. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And you know, what's funny is some people have come back to me and said, this is like the good old days when the mob runs it, except he's not in the mob. So I guess it's the best <laughs> of both worlds, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was very much about the, I, I don't think people love the the whacking and the torture <laughs> yeah, and the right. burglaries and the, all the crimes of the mob days. But what they loved about it was it felt personal. It felt like you weren't just a number. Uh, somebody would shake your hand, look you in the eye, know, know your name, and kind of have, you know, Derek's people will take care of you. If you're a good player, the world is your oyster, and they know how to treat good players. Um, you know, that's that's one of those things that, that people sometimes have difficulty grasping uh, because they'll see, you know, they'll see that he charges quite a bit for parking in his garage mahal. Well, that is... It, it's for people who aren't players because players part free. I, I have a, I'm in the tier in the club, whatever you call them, loyalty mm-hmm. club. I'm at the tier where you get free parking. Well, casinos more and more are catering to the people, the guests who are most valuable to them. So somebody who maybe has no, has never played there before might have a different experience, but that that's true, you know, up and down the strip. But I think what people want and why they, why they kind of pine for the, for the uh, mob days is they want that personalized experience. They want to feel special and they want to feel like their dollars are valued and and their business is valued. Uh, And, but it, you know, and I would say there are a few kind of like their restaurants. Like if you go to Oscars at Plaza, that to me has a very kind of homey kind of, they they'll recognize you if they see you more than once. And, And some dealers will treat you that way. And some bartenders will treat you that way. But at, at Circa, especially for me, it's always felt like everybody wants to be Norm, right? From Cheers, yeah. You want to go where everybody knows your name, and so you go go try that at MGM Grand. It's as big as some states. It's as big as Delaware. There's just no reasonable way for a place to feel warm and personalized when it's tens of thousands of guests, thousands of employees. I mean, they're just so big. So I like a smaller, smaller casino. I like seeing the same faces. I like when the bartenders know what drink I'm having before I order it. 
I think that's what people mean when they when they you know they pine for the mob days. When people say, I like to go to Vegas three, four times a year, and of course that's uh, all the ears in town perk up because that's the type of people you want coming regularly that really enjoy it. If you're to talk to somebody like that, is it a better idea than to pick your favorite, whatever, whether it's the Circa, whether it's something on the Strip, whatever it is, join the loyalty club and just get comfortable there? Because there is a certain good feeling in Vegas once you have your favorite place to know where everything is just kind of adds to the experience. Yeah, I mean, there, there's something to be said for, for exploring. Um, and it's interesting because, that you mentioned that because one of the reasons that I go to Circa as well, uh, beyond the rice, is so it, the idea is when you're in a loyalty club, you tend to concentrate your play at it, within the same loyalty club. And that's to make the most of, your, of the money that you're spending on gambling. So, uh, you know, and, and in this case, it's Circa, it's Golden Gate, the D, so it's in that family. So when you go on the Strip, there are equivalents of that, where you want to either be in the, the MGM Rewards loyalty family, or you want to be in the Caesars Rewards family. And so that's more than just knowing where the restrooms are, or, your, you know, the rest, the, <laughs> your favorite bartender. That's about really getting the most out of your play. And so, you know, people think I spend every night at, at uh, Circa, and part of that's because I like the perks. I like getting, you know, I don't pay for my rice. I use Players Club points to pay for my rice. So that rice is much more enjoyable. I might have spent $400 or $500 gambling that night, but I got my free rice, and I leave feeling like a winner. And so that's the whole idea behind loyalty clubs. And it is as true downtown as it is on the Strip. Downtown actually has some of these bigger companies down there, like Boyd. So you're in their loyalty club family. And so I I tend to gravitate toward the places that I'm familiar with. But in Vegas, especially if you're a new visitor, there's so much to see and discover. And there's no, there aren't enough hours in the day to listen to podcasts, to read Twitter accounts or blogs. You're going to have to just sometimes just go to a place you haven't been before and just explore. So you might not, might not join their loyalty club, but you should probably join it wherever you are. Uh, and if it's not in the family that you're usually in, I don't know. I'm always, I also believe in Mojo. So sometimes a Virgin casino that I've never been to before, I'm going to, I'm going to play cause I think it's lucky. Uh, but I think that, I think that answers your question is I love the idea of going to a place that's familiar. I'm a creature of habit. So if I know I'm going to have a good time, that's where I go. But if things, if the luck turns around, I'm going to a different place, <laughs> whether I'm in the loyalty club or not. Yeah, that is really a true gambler because you can take all that great stuff. And if you win in some place, you can hate the place other than that. There's nothing like winning <laughs> to make all that other stuff seem much better. That's true. And honestly, there are some pretty, um, you know, like I, w- I would say gritty experiences in Vegas where people kind of make fun of certain casinos because they're, they're, they're not that fancy, uh, especially downtown. But there's some on the Strip, too, where, you know, Circus Circus is one. Everybody beats on Circus Circus. I love it. Like, I have decent gambling there. I've had pretty good luck there. And it really does change your experience. It's never going to be a cosmopolitan. But if I, I'd rather win at Circus Circus than lose it at Cosmopolitan, let's put it that way. Right. You get a great stake at Circus Circus uh, for a pretty good price, too. That's a secret that a lot of people aren't aware of. Yeah, I've, I've started using that analogy because, as you know, 
uh, I spend a lot of time on Twitter, and Twitter is just a mess. It's very stressful. Um, anytime you're in an online community, it's going to be stressful. So they're like, why, you know, why do you bother being on Twitter? And the analogy I use is, have you, have you ever had to go through Circus Circus to get to the steakhouse? Because if you, if you know that experience, you know why you're on Twitter. It's because every once in a while, in the middle of the circus, you're going to meet somebody nice or get a compliment or, or hear somebody actually forming a cogent thought. And that's what I'm in it for. I'm in it for the steakhouse. You know, another thing, you just wrote about this, and I thought, boy, Scott, once again, is right on it. And that's the idea of secret spaces. You, you called it out. In fact, you picked out 11 of them in Vegas. There's something about that that makes Vegas special. And as I went through your list, Cosmopolitan, which we talked about before, has quite a few cool places there. I mean, I think they made four or five of your uh, list of their hidden. Kind of talk a little about that, why they do it, and how much fun can you have just finding these places? Yeah, I mean, you can sometimes find them, uh, but quite often they go out of their way to make them really, you know, a a true speakeasy is something you're not supposed to be able to detect or get into easily. So there's all, you know, they all have different ways of getting in. Some have a Passwords. Some have, uh, you know, these rituals you have to go through. Uh, Cosmo has probably four out of my list of eleven that I featured. So that's almost a. That's uh, I'm no math person, but that's like a third of these of these uh, hidden places. They've got secret pizza, of course, which is the least secret thing, uh, maybe ever in Las Vegas. They've got uh, Ghost Donkey, which is a, a, a wonderful little uh, hidden bar behind the food court of all places. Then they've got the Ski Lodge. Uh, the Ski Lodge is relatively new. It's associated with uh, uh, Super Frico and the show up there and uh, Opium, which I love. And then the other one is the Barber Shop. The Barber Shop is literally looks like a you know a, a storefront that's where there's people getting their hair cut. And then behind there, there's a, another lounge where uh, Bruno Mars dropped in recently. Uh, but they're just they're fun little discoveries. Uh, there's a new one at Bally's uh, called the Cabinet of Curiosities, and so yeah, what is that? The bar you can see. Well, the bar you can see, but there's another hidden speakeasy inside called the Lock, and you gotta you gotta solve a puzzle to get in. All these clues, then you get in there, and there's actually the one most people don't know about. So that's the that's the hidden space. But then within the hidden space, there's another space. <laughs> and it's like the inception of speakeasies because you just keep exploring. Uh, and it, I don't know. I really like that one because out front, they've got all these weird artifacts uh, with little QR codes on them. Yeah. And just weird, strange, historical. Just uh, It's just fun. Like while you're drinking. And the more you drink, the more fun it gets. Uh, just like most of life. You, you really got to go read that article. It's on Twitter. Follow Vital Vegas on Twitter. It's really worth it. Every day you get really cool stuff, and you know more about what's going on there than you're going to get by reading the paper. Uh, if you listen to our show, it's great, but it's only once a week, and you're probably learning that from Scott anyway. But one more on that list before we move off this topic, because I just love the name of this. At Resorts World, here Kitty Kitty Vice Den. Now, that brings <laughs> up all sorts of visions in my mind. <laughs> yeah. So that one is really well done. Uh, so when Resorts World opened, I think, you know, they've they've had some adjustments of what works, what doesn't work. And this, this place was literally a gift shop. So it had like 
just bags of chips and little knickknacks. And uh, it didn't take long because, you know, it's impossible to keep anything secret because of social media. But uh, behind this snack bar, it's a door that opens and it's this beautiful lounge inside. And uh, the vice, I think, is mostly liquor. <laughs> I didn't witness any other vices mm. happening. <laughs> uh, but it's just a great vibe. It's really just well done. A great drink menu, great drinks. Um, and I don't think there's any special code to get in. You just kind of wink at the person in the gift shop. Now it's a full-blown restaurant out front. Uh, I haven't been in recently, but I don't think it, it – in the beginning, I think they were going to try using a password, but – People figured it out and they just went in. But it, it's one of those things where you walking by, you would never know it was a bar. Uh, same with uh, the laundry room in Commonwealth. You Walking by, it's this disgusting window with all these band stickers. It looks like graffiti outside. But when you go inside, it's this beautiful little hidden room. I've never been. It's so exclusive. They, they haven't invited me. Uh, but <laughs> I, love those, I love those places in Vegas because... Those truly are, um, you, you really feel special. And in, in the case of somewhere like, you know, you have to be invited to some of these places. There's a, a, a place called Prohibition 1923. It's at Mandalay Place. The lounge, it looks like, you can tell it's a speakeasy. So, but within the speakeasy, there's a little room in the back where a magician performs. And I'm like, that makes you feel special. Yeah. You know, when you can figure out, oh, it's not just this lounge that I can see, it's this other thing. There's this other hidden thing. And that was, that was always a big allure of Secret Pizza at Cosmo because there's no sign. So most yeah. people know where it is, but I, I was standing right next to the entrance hearing people ask, where's Secret Pizza? So if you want a feeling of exclusivity and feeling like a VIP, these hidden places, these lounges and restaurants that are not really there. People talk about it, but there's no signage. There's no big red arrow going, here's, here's ghost donkey. Uh, <laughs> I think they're a lot of fun. Now I have to ask you a question. I got three, not one, not two, but three emails on this. So when I hit the third one, I was kind of holding back on that, but you mentioned vice and, it probably is the same person, but they sent this thing wanting to know that <laughs> apparently there is some bar in a famous hotel in Las Vegas where all the ladies of the evening go. And literally, you can all they all sit around the bar and they're known about it. And I've heard rumors to that effect. <laughs> Never actually saw one, but uh, who better to ask than uh, our Vegas insider? Yes, well, I have an exclusive on this. And I'm going to give you an insider tip on, on how you encounter uh, these young women whose time uh, is rentable, uh, sometimes just for their company. So we'll keep it clean. You can pay a young woman for her company, uh, for conversation, <laughs> etc. It's all a negotiation. These are independent contractors. But here's the secret. The secret of where you can find these young women is any casino bar in Las Vegas. <laughs> uh, it tends to be the higher-end hotels uh, because these young entrepreneurs uh, have a very good eye for um, clientele, and you do want your clientele to be more affluent, and they tend to stay at certain hotels. So um, it's always been a very interesting aspect of Vegas because prostitution is illegal in Las Vegas, but everybody kind of turns a blind eye to this. Um, you know, I sometimes, just out of pure research, talk to these young women uh, to just to get a feel for, like, 
what their lives are like. And for the most part, if they don't commit a crime, if they don't steal a watch or if they don't, uh, you know, cause problems, the hotels kind of turn a blind eye. And uh, so it's just one of those things where it's, it's silly that it's illegal, but everybody kind of plays the game. Law enforcement's kind of like, you know, we don't have enough hours in the day to, to, to chase these women around or these drawn, uh, I mean, clients. Um, but it, yeah, it's very, very prevalent. It's uh, almost any casino bar. And I'm talking about the ones you would never think. Uh, would, it, I actually, I took a friend, a female friend, to a bar at the Golden Nugget. And this is just the center casino bar, very, you know, a lot of middle America sitting around playing video poker. And the staff was going around the bar asking for IDs. It, well, it was not because of the liquor. It was because the, the, the ladies of the evening had started kind of camping out at this bar. And it was kind of a known hangout. So the hotel was like, we can't, we can't, we can't just have this going on all the time. So they started checking IDs of regular guests to kind of shoo away uh, these young entrepreneurs. Uh, so it's not just at the, you know, at the fancy hotels. It's, it's every hotel. At different places, there's, at Rio, there's literally a bar called Hooker Bar. I uh, hope that didn't violate any FCC uh, <laughs> regulation, <laughs> but it's called Hooker Bar. And uh, I've taken multiple pictures, and there were no um, participants in this, very special aspect of Las Vegas, but they, there are certain bars that get known for it. Let's just talk about casinos in general now, because I had been thinking about this, and you write a lot about this, and it's part of the people that love Vegas also love to know what's going on, what the inside track is. One of the things you wrote about, and I hadn't thought about it until I read that, was about the casino carpeting. I mean, the article was specifically about um, Four Queens, but as you mentioned in there, Carpeting and Vegas kind of go together. There's no plain carpets. They usually have strange designs and so forth. Is that something you're always kind of keeping an eye of? And why is that? I mean, is that something that just <laughs> makes people want to gamble more? Well, it, when you're obsessive about Vegas, there are certain things that catch your eye or that you know people are going to ask about and that are just inherently fascinating. One of them is door handles. Um, that's one of those quirky little niche things that everybody... You know, there are people who can identify the casino by the door handle, and that is also true of carpeting. Uh, you rarely, if ever, I don't know if I've ever seen the same carpeting in two casinos. So there's a branding aspect to it. it it's supposed to represent the brand, for starters. But there's also a very practical aspect of carpeting. Um, and people think that it's the carpeting in casinos is garish and kind of tacky, and a theory at one time was floated, completely false, was that by making the carpeting ugly, quote, unquote, ugly, it would keep a player's eyes up at the level of the slot machines. So that was said facetiously by a, by a local professor here at UNLV. It was never true. It's not true. Uh, they're, they are busy carpets because casinos get a lot of foot traffic and there's a lot of spills and other bad things that happen to carpeting. So the busier the carpeting, the more it covers up the stains and the wear. And so that's that's why, that's why carpets look the way they do in casinos. 
Now, another thing you see in casinos, what, what's on top of those carpets? A lot of chairs. And you were mentioning, we all know if you've been around the country, that we're getting a little larger, and I guess gamblers are getting wider chairs. Uh, <laughs> and and that's, that's really something, then. Huh? If, if we were to go back to the 60s, we would see a real difference. Yeah, it's, it is a significant change to the point where the manufacturers have to adjust the dimensions of the chairs for slot machines. And I would take it an extra step further because Plaza is in the middle of a renovation of its Oscars restaurant. And I went in and started asking them questions about, you know, why are you you're changing the booth layouts and you're, you're upgrading your chairs? The chairs didn't look that bad. And it occurred to me that the reason that's happening is because guests are getting larger. Uh, so a lot of times a bigger person, I don't know what the, what the politically correct term is for a larger person, but they have trouble sitting in a booth because they, the distance between the back of the booth and the table is too small. So right. Plaza is actually widening that opening so that larger guests can enjoy the booth experience. That, of course, is optimal in any restaurant. Uh, but they're actually revamping their their interior design to accommodate uh, larger folks. I don't know if that's the only reason, but it's among the reasons. And uh, in the case of slot machines, you want people to be comfortable. You want them to be able to sit at that slot machine for as long as possible. And their the the comfort of a chair is one of the primary concerns. It's very basic, but it absolutely affects time on machine, as they call it in the industry. So I suspect that trend will continue, uh, and it's it's an interesting one. But uh, you know, it's it's part of Vegas that is is often invisible to a casual visitor. But me and my friends, we obsess over this stuff all day and all night. <laughs> we got nothing better to do. Well, do you ever wonder how people used to stand there? I mean, they didn't have chairs at one point. I remember those days a long, long time ago. But you'd sit there and play, well, you know, one hand. It's amazing they had people to stay there. But uh, I guess that was one of the advantages. It was That really was the only place you could gamble in those days. Yeah, I mean, back in the day, the slot machine started kind of in an interesting way because they, they weren't really for gamblers. They were for the wives right. of the gamblers. So the guys would go to the tables where the real gambling happened, and then you'd put some machines on the side to, so that the wives could have their rolling nickels. And, and obviously now that paradigm, ha- if you walk into any casino, you see that the proportion of tables to, to uh, slots is vastly different. And in the beginning, you'll see a lot of those photos of the early casinos. There were no chairs at the slots. Um, my friends at Binion's have always said they were the first place to have chairs. Uh, at a place called Birdcage, I think, uh, which was absorbed into Binion's later. But apparently there was, um, you know, the rumor was that people were kind of using chairs to save their machines while they went to the restroom. But my friends at Binion said, no, we realized there, there was a need to make people more comfortable, so we started putting chairs out there. Uh, but now, obviously, it's, you know, and a lot of these bigger, newer machines the chair itself is this whole other world of and there's speakers in there and yeah. they vibrate and they're, I mean, they are built for comfort and to add to the experience so that 
as you're losing your money, you barely notice that you're losing your money because you're having so much fun. Well, one thing that I don't think is fun, I don't like it, but apparently it's the wave of the future, and that's getting away from the table games with real people and playing them on machines. Now, you know, it's okay, especially if you don't want to put a lot of money in there. I, I get the reasoning, but I think a lot of this is just cost-cutting, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it is... There are a mixture of reasons for electronic table games. Well, the biggest uh, is cost-cutting related to labor. So uh, I noticed the last night at the D that they have removed two of their four craps tables. So the D has always been a gambler's casino, just like Circa and Golden Gate. But I think there is a there's a conscious decision to really scrutinize how much is being spent on labor. And, uh, you know, an electronic machine, there is no labor cost, so you can make the minimum very low, say for craps or blackjack. Uh, a craps table, you've got two, three dealers, you've got a box man, you've got a pit boss, like you have a whole crew of people to support a craps table. So I think a lot of these companies are just making a very basic decision of, you know, they're not getting rid of their table games, they're, they, they're kind of adjusting what's available because if someone walks up to a, say, a craps table with a $25 minimum, they, they might just keep walking. Uh, but if, if they walk up to a machine that's $5, uh, $5 minimum, they, they're good with it. The budgetary element, but they also just like ha- that their guests ha- can have a choice of, you know, how do you want to play? Do you want to play with a live person or do you want to play with a machine? A lot, for a lot of beginners, the machines are perfect because you get to learn yeah. Low minimum, low pressure. You don't have, don't have to know the jargon. You don't have to walk up or know, you know, you don't have to walk up and know that a dealer can't take money from your hand. A lot of people are embarrassed right off the bat because they, they're trying to hand the money to get their chips. The dealer's like, lay it down. So to a new player, you're already kind of yeah, like, shamed. oh, I'm, I'm yeah. trying and I'm already embarrassed. Well, with a machine, it's not going to shame you. And uh, you can kind of work your way up to the real table game because, to me, there's there's no replacement for a, for no. a live table game. And part of that fun is looking at, you know, who your dealer is. A lot of them are very nice people. You have the little uh, thing to say where they're at. It, 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 sometimes, particularly, you're playing at 3 in the morning. There's nothing like sitting one-on-one with a blackjack dealer and somebody you actually like and talking about whatever you want to talk about while you lose a little bit of money. <laughs> or win. <laughs> of course. I was with a guy the other night who... He won, he won 80 grand at Cosmo playing craps. I'm like, oh. yeah, you, it's hard to beat that. <laughs> is, is that a, I'm glad you brought that up because that is sort of a unique experience, right? In the sense of just being around that. Win or lose, you got 80 grand on the table. There's a certain excitement that isn't there on the minimum bet. Yeah, it's, it's really, uh, and, and I, I've talked about this on my podcast a little bit too, about it's kind of this, surreal experience because when money turns into chips, the whole idea behind using chips rather than money is you forget the value of money. Well, if you're dealing with a certain denomination, it it really does feel like play money. But if you held it in cash, you would never, ever have tens of thousands of dollars riding on a roll of the dice. You just wouldn't do it. So it's, but there are people in Vegas who are spending ungodly amounts of money, winning ungodly amounts of money, and also losing because the house doesn't always win. You know that I hear yeah. that so much. It's just not true. The house often loses. In the long run, they will probably win. But on that night, you this guy walks into Cosmo and wins eighty thousand dollars, and they're 
they're paying for the rest of his trip. <laughs> plus, he gets a free room, plus free food. They're whining and dining him because they really want him to, uh, to play a little bit more. <laughs> 